Hey, Risto here with George Mason University. We are here with Dr. Oscar Nunez Enriquez, and I get to practice my Spanish accent today, which is terrible. Uh, so here we go. He is from Universidad Autonoma de Chihuahua. Uh, we will be discussing the 2020 article that uh, Oscar wrote with Dr. Kimberly Oliver from New Mexico State University. And the title of the paper is The Collision of Two Worlds, When a Teacher-Centered Facilitator Meets a Student-Centered Pedagogy. Uh, I'm sure you will enjoy this. It's a four-year study. Uh, it was published in Sport, Education, and Society. Um, Oscar, thank you so much for coming on and talking about your article. Hola, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate the, the opportunity for sharing with you all. Absolutely. And this has been a long time coming. I told you that we're going to have you on the podcast, and then... I don't know, pandemic hit and all this other stuff, but um, I'm, I'm happy you're on now. Um, and by reading this, it seemed like the study was quite personal to you. Can you begin by kind of just explaining to us a little bit about your background leading up to the study? What kind of previous work have you done in this area? And kind of what was your overall motivation for doing this type of study? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, as we all know, the, the influence of, of, of our countries and the cultural practice that we have, it has a, a powerful effect in our personal and professional lives. And one of the things that I always feel me was helping, finding ways of helping others. But however, even though that I was, pers I mean, pers pursued by different, different ways of helping others, my cultural background uh, persisted. And one of the reasons that led me to learn a new way of helping others was noticing that my pedagogy was wasn't facilitating my students' learning. Although I knew that my, my pedagogy needed to, to change the power and the influence that, that, that my, home, my hometown um, had over me, I never noticed that. So this led me to pursue a doctoral degree that, that was focused on social justice and, and, and using a, an activist approach for working with youth. And as part of this journey, I had, to, I had the chance to learn um, how to become an activist researcher and a teacher with Dr. Oliver and Carla Luetti. And, and th this led us to, to a couple of, to write down a couple of papers that were previously published uh, before this paper came out. And however, this paper emerged quite organically because since they won, the influence of my cultural background made me struggle and, and made me struggle against the essence of activist research. And it wasn't really, it was a quite a challenge that that um, I've learned thus far. Even though that I'm more aware now, I'm still struggling on a daily basis and going to, in a way, to my old ways and, yeah. and, and learning how to merge them with my new ways. And what a great place to go to learn about student-centered pedagogy with Kim Oliver and having Carla Liguetti there at the same time. So you probably made a really good decision there. Um, so let's talk about your, you used a Chicana feminist theory as your theoretical lens. So I'm, I'm super curious about this because, uh, you know, you identify as male, you're from, uh, Mexico, and then you use the Chicana feminist theory as your theoretical lens. So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, the theory and why you adopted this? Yes, absolutely. Uh, at first my struggles were... I wasn't aware of I was having a struggle per se. I knew that I was feeling uncomfortable, but I didn't know where that uncomfortableness came from. And I decided to adopt uh, Chicana feminist theory because 
from Gloria and Sandua's perspective, uh, a premise through through her lens says that what has been inherited, learned, or imposed has an influence in our lives, and and it can um, can influence for a lifetime in 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 a way. So, what, and she describes this as lo heredado, lo adquirido, el impuesto. And um, one of the, the the epistemologies of of this is that it frames all of these aspects together, but she also frames something that uh, she describes as Nepantla, which is a native and Mexican word meaning in between. So when I I read when I first read this, I felt at home. It is something that it explained my struggles, the, the the way I was raised in a way and the ways I was being taught and, and, and pushed to learn different different ways. So this place provided me the opportunity to reconcile those different ways of working and find a balance in, in my life in, in between my professional and my personal life as well. So because it helps to deconstruct these elements in different levels and in different times, but also helps to understand how can we wove them together? How can we put this, all these pieces together uh, and, and help different ways to, to, to see if they fit in that place mm-hmm. or not? Because in different levels, that feeling, because a feeling that was pursuing me since day one was that I was losing myself. Like mm-hmm. I was losing my essence in a way. So that, that accompanied me and, and for me to find a balance in my life. So that helped me to reconcile those things and also molding me in a different way. Yeah. So you also, in addition to using Chicana feminist theory, you took this activist approach. Can you, and, and I know Carla's been on here before and talked about it and um, we've talked about the activist approach in, in a blog that we wrote. And so, but can you tell us a little bit about what that means and why you adopted the activist approach besides working with Kim Oliver and, you know, that obvious kind of um, influence that she most likely had on there? Sure, absolutely. So a characteristic of activist approach is that it provides a, a space of, ref, of reflexivity. So I needed that space to reflect on my the powerful effect that my cultural background had over me in order to facilitate my students' learning. And and this this helped me to to understand how the epistemology of my in personal life had an effect on the ways I was teaching. And um, one of the things is that activists, when an activist approaches the challenges, individual individuals' uh, epistemologies in different levels. So, in a way, it create a messiness, which Carlo described the, um, previously on, our, on on one of our chats. That um, we look to have everything under control in a way, mm-hmm. but it is quite um, dichotomic because. Everything is under control, but the feeling of not having the control can take over. So it, it also creates the opportunity to negotiate it and identify what would be the different ways or elements to be working together. But we need to be able to push ourselves and, and, and remove ourselves from the equation as teachers. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it challenged the, the, everything I was taught because I was taught that everything needed to come from me for my personal life and for my professional teaching life as well. So an activist approach can provide a feeling of sense of struggleness and, and of a struggle, I'm sorry, 
uh, a sense of structureless, mm -hmm. structureless um, uh, class or session as well. Yeah, and and you wrote in in this intro, you talked about how being brought up in Mexico in a Mexican culture, which is very, you know, driven by this idea that the man has to make all these decisions. And you know, I didn't know about this, but know this of you, but you said that you taught for, you know, almost nine, 10 years, where you were constantly in this understanding that the way you teach the person that should, the person's voice that should be heard in this classroom should be yours, not the students. And, in, and that's why I love this paper, because you talk about how you struggled with going from my voice is the only voice that should be heard to going into an activist approach where you're negotiating when you're listening to students you're you know responding to them over time and completely changing that style of thinking so i can totally see where you're talking about losing yourself and you know everything that you've thought about who you are is really as a product of where you were born and who how you were brought up but then you go exactly. into this new different area and all of a sudden, you know, up is down and down is up. And you're like, how, how is this going? So, yeah. Yeah. And the, the most interesting thing, it was that the Chicana feminist lens and an activist approach works perfectly together because both create those spaces to reflect. And it was a space that I needed to reflect on myself. Of course, it is quite challenging because we're not used to the, the idea of questioning ourselves and, and and putting ourselves not in that place where we think uh, students are gonna uh, overtake us or or they're gonna wrap. I mean, the expression I think the expression is uh, they're gonna wrap us around their fingers. Mm -hmm. So it, it was quite challenging and 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 it was definitely was a, the the most amazing and yet challenging journey of my life, academically speaking. Yeah, I'm sure. So, and, and the way you frame the article was using critical autoethnography. So can you tell us a little bit about what that means and how it aligns with taking the activist approach and the use of uh, Chicana feminist theory? Absolutely, yes. So an autoethnography study seeks to find a connection between the personal and the cultural. Although adding the, the, the critical perspective to this connection would help us to describe the different challenges that emerge between, in this case, my old ways and my new ways of working. Uh, because it also connects elements together, like for say, uh, it connects the Chicana feminine lens that seeks, that seeks to deconstruct um, how to build new ways of knowing. And uh, Chicana feminist theory describes this as a trenza, which is a break that connects all these different pieces together in order to influence each other mm -hmm. so and, and influence together. So um, I was, I mean, I, was, I wanted to explain this because I was critical, critical, crit, criticizing myself in a way that I wanted to describe all these challenges. Yeah, and I like that trenza, the, the braid idea, because it does really overlap and influence together. So I, I thought that was a good analogy or a good way of describing it. So in your in your methods, uh, can you just explain what the study was and, you know, maybe point out a little bit about how the middle school uh, students that you were teaching played a really important role? 
Yes, absolutely. So in a way, the middle schoolers became the bridge that merged these two new ways of knowing, my old ways in my new in my new ways per se. Uh, so they, they, they become my teachers in order for me to understand what would be the best way to work with them. And, and the data collection happened in different phases and in different periods of uh, during those these four years. And um, at first, as a research group, we we had a community of learners that helped us to to interact among among each other and learn from each other as well. And um, this also this also transitioned to a more solo work for me. And I was um, uh, within this community of learners. I was working with uh, Dr. Oliver, with um, with Carla and uh, Raquel as well. But um, a key element in learning an activist approach is that uh, we need to be experienced and be, we, we need to be more willing to challenge or challenge yourself at times. So we use this, uh, the middle school students to, in order to describe what would be the, pick, the culmination of the process, of this process, of this four-year process, uh, and how help me to understand the benefits of listening to students as well. Because um, even though there were some students that described themselves as non-sports persons, they kept coming. So they, that was really interesting to me that, okay, so where, where is this coming from? Is this coming from that we created or we co-created with them a, a trustworthy, trustworthy environment for them to share? Mm-hmm. Or what, where is this coming from? So um, it, this helped me to, in a way, become more comfortable with using an activist approach, using a student-centered pedagogy, and how to reconcile it with what I have learned previously in my life. Yeah, absolutely. So let me get into the results of, uh, of your study here. Uh, you present these across the three phases that talk about your evolution of your experience over the four years of the study, which again is is a very long, like this came out of your dissertation and to be able to collect data for four years and have this autoethnography over four years is awesome. But your, your first phase was called learning and understanding the influence of my cultural background on becoming an activist teacher and researcher over time. Can you tell us about the challenges you were experiencing at that time? Sure, absolutely. So a metaphor that can help us to understand this process or that helped me to understand this process was like uh, passing through what is called a rabbit's hole. It's learning how to become an activist researcher in a t-shirt was the, the equivalent for me to take me from one place to another, but passing through a rabbit hole or like, uh, like physicists explains as uh, um a process where it is quite challenging. Uh, I remember one day when we were talking a few years ago at AERA, you and me, Risto, that you explained this as the Aristotle cavern, that you mm-hmm. didn't see all those shades, but mm-hmm. you knew there was something else. So yeah. I can explain that as well and, and through that metaphor. So this process to me was surreal in different levels. At first, I didn't want to show myself as weak because I never, I, I was a newcomer of this new, of this new community of learners with Kim, Carla, and Raquel. 
I never questioned why I wasn't willing to share or talk during this process, even though that this was pointed out to me by Kim directly, and I still refused to share my, my, my input. Um, and now I am aware of that I was unconscious, that I was portraying an unconsciousness in, 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 of my cultural background and how this molded me over the years. And once the community of learners uh, couldn't take place, couldn't take place, this is where I was forced to take a different direction and uh, where the deconstruction of my always began. And, and I was, and still I wasn't aware of how to manage this, but, uh, and then, uh, in the year that I was challenged to push myself into a more solo work, um, it was the most challenging one, but yet I was I was beginning to see the, the, the benefits of using an activist approach. And it was also through passing the process of how, how, um, a highly dense lit literature of how we needed to reconcile those places. Yeah. And, and I think that the messiness that Carla referred to in that model space practice conversation that we had recorded. I think that's exactly what I experienced as well in, in those first years of super dense reading, super confused about why you believe certain things. People are telling you to think in different ways and you're just like, no, that's not me. And then, you know, as you go through your, and, and I think we get to that later on is you start getting more comfortable. So in, in your second phase, uh, that you titled How I Negotiated the Discomfort and Challenges I Faced in the Process of Moving from Teacher-Centered Positionality to the Required Student-Centered Facilitator. It seems as if in this theme you were experiencing a little bit of turmoil and conflict between the two approaches. It's kind of like you're kind of breaking through to that next level. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the conceptualization and understanding of the literature and both from both approaches, from a teacher-centered perspective and a student-centered perspective, began to to create this turmoil. The, the understanding of the purpose of a student-centered pedagogy allowed me to question these two approaches as well. And, and although I may say that the key elements that kept me going was learning and feeling comfortable using this new approach, this new approach, um, the the successful aspect that helped me or or kept me going was seeing kids' successes. Uh, having the kids who identify themselves as probably not a, a sports person or someone that, that doesn't enjoy being physically active and seeing them keeping going, I mean, keeping coming and, and not only for, for one year or one session, I mean, for two or three years, that was really interesting to me. I began to question that understanding students' voices and co-create with them the class and the environment and reconstruct the student teacher power relationship that was has been constructed over the years and how that might either facilitate or hinder the interest, their motivation and how they can engage in physical activity. It started to, in a way to reconcile and, and the struggle of being molded as a teacher center. Um, despite of that, I was willing to ask for help in a way. So mm -hmm. I was tearing down those barriers that there wasn't helping my, my pedagogy and, and my, my teacher identity to 
push myself into a new into a new beginning per se and um i was more willing to to ask for help i was more willing to listen to my students as well but also help me to understand how the power dynamics of a teacher i mean student teacher relationship can work and how those work differently in 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 either in mexico or in the u.s Mm -hmm. that uh that they have similarities, but at the same time, we need to be aware and we need to be willing to see the differences in between both. Yeah. And, and in that third phase, there, there are some really good quotes and kind of exchanges between you and Kim uh, back and forth that give a good uh, explanation of this. But you talk about discomfort to comfortableness while using an activist approach. So can you tell us a little bit about your experiences here and learning to be comfortable with this approach? So at first I need to say that the uncomfortableness of using an activist approach doesn't go away 100%. I'm still uncomfortable in some ways of using this approach within my practice. However, I'm more comfortable with the idea of having this uncomfortableness being part of my my teaching personality, Mm -hmm. which is part of that messiness that it creates, but having the uncomfortableness feeling not overtake you helps you to move forward to, to, to um, have a different perspective. So that we need our, as, as teachers or researchers, we need to feel okay with this feeling that is going to be part of our identity that uh, both provide an understanding of that perhaps a student can be passing through something and 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 we're going to be able to understand that process as well mm-hmm. and understanding how the the importance of acknowledging the the influence that cultural backgrounds has either or on or personal i mean teaching personality or in students personalities yeah. as well and also as facilitator we need to understand that these struggles can create for a student not knowing how to engage in physical activity or not knowing how to engage in different aspects that are, I mean, around our practice as well. I believe that this journey has helped me to become more aware how as teacher and a researcher, we need to broad, we need to be able to broaden our perspective and, and, see beyond uh, of the sole purpose of a research project as well. And then we need to seek a connection between theory and practice. That theory can lead us to some place, which is great, but practice can also lead us to another place. But we need to reconcile both. And especially to understand from a social social justice stance that these struggles are very real and that we have to, we have um, it can impact over ourselves and over students. And then from an activist approach stance that uh, as a researcher, we, we need to be willing to uh, face the unexpected mm-hmm. and, and push over to that expected that can help us to push over that expected outcome in order to, to feel more, more uh, willing to, to seek a different ways that can help our students to overcome their challenges as well. And I think one of the things in this section that you didn't bring up, but I think is a really important piece is 
you know, where you struggled with the students were not following the rules or they're being unsafe and you were kind of looking at it going, oh, I, I can't take my teacher hat and put teacher directed hat on to make sure that they're being safe and following the rules. And Kim interjected and said, no, like it's not that, you know, going through an activist approach or a negotiated curriculum. It's not like you hand over the keys to the car to a 14 year old and say, I think you're going to be fine. You just go with this. Instead, it's it's a balance like safety is non-negotiable that Kim said in the in that uh, interview or that kind of exchange. And I think those are things to really remember as well is just because you're doing a student centered curriculum doesn't mean that every single aspect of what you're doing is student directed and student led. There are certain standards that you need to teach. There are certain things that students just don't know yet because they haven't been taught or they, you know, they're, they're new concepts. There's a lot of information in your brain as a teacher and in your background as a teacher that needs to be presented. But having that student voice is super important, but also not, it's not a free for all, right? When you look exactly. at a really good activist approach and you walk into someone like Kim running, you know, the high school program that she runs that, you know, you walk in there, it, it's organized. It's not like a free for all kids doing whatever they want. You know, it's, it's, it's different in that way. Yeah. And that's one of the misunderstandings of a student centered pedagogy that you need to give up your role as teacher, as facilitator. And it's not the case. You still in charge in a way you still in charge basically of their, of our student safety. So we, that's, that's something that we cannot negotiate in any level because you are the one responsible for them at that moment. But still, you need to listen at them. And listening does not mean listening to them literally. It's just listening to those silences behind or what they're saying, listening to what their experiences has brought them to share that input, what it's behind that. And, And sometimes we can get lost in that translation mm-hmm. and as a teacher because we're not we do not see how or what they meant with those words and that's one of the key pieces of activist research or student-centered pedagogy that we need to be able to see beyond those words yeah and and i think for me the big takeaway from from your study was that you started with a more i mean a very teacher-centered positionality as you describe in your first few years of teaching and maybe because of your background and socialization and Mexican culture, but then you move toward this more student-centered belief system over time. So can you talk about that process in like the big picture and what it meant for you on a personal level? Yes, absolutely. I remember during my first weeks over at New Mexico State University, I remember that Kim told me that probably learning a student-centered pedagogy might, well, I mean, would take me a year, a year and a half, but it took me more than that to actually learn it. So it took me more time than I expected. I can describe this process as the most challenging and yet amazing journey of my personal professional life. Um, that uh, it brought me to a place of rex, um, of self reflexivity that questioned in so many levels what I was I was taught and how I was reproducing 
all those aspects in my personal and professional life. But at the same time, it helped me to understand that even, even though these aspects or elements were part of my life, I am still accountable and to decide whether I needed them or, or were required at the moment, which was a really powerful moment for me to understand that those, part, those pieces are part of you, but it's your decision whether you wanted to take them with you now or not. So one last question before we close out the interview. Where do you go from here? What are the next steps or recommendations for future research that come from, uh, from your study? Well, I can say that I keep contributing to areas that have done research in the past, but not so much currently, especially in physical activity or PE, that as researchers and teachers, uh, we sometimes need to take a moment and reflect in our ways of knowing and uh, being willing to submerge ourselves into the unknown. And um, then this, how, this is how can we expand the, the boundaries of research and our own boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because questioning, reflecting, and analyzing in, in, our, in our own ways, it is quite uncomfortable, but it is also an act of bravery and self-love and care to, to ourselves. And more importantly, that... Um, we need to be that that place. We need to be self-reflected or be reflected in our students' behavior, and and that um, can either impact them in a short or in a long term. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, overall, you you talked about this earlier about what has been, and you can remind me, inherited, what has been assumed. What were what were the three? Inherited, um, learn and imposed. Yeah, and I think that was, I mean, that, that's, that's a great way to challenge and just to propose that question, which I will do to, to my class later today, is, is ask that question of to really reflect, like, what, what are those three steps? What, what has been inherited? What has been imposed in your life? And to really, like, challenge that. And I think that that's a really uh, good kind of self-reflection to to leave off of. Um, so thank you so much for your time. I also love the fact that you were able to weave in the allegory of the cave into your answers, which was amazing. Um, and obviously a really fascinating peek into someone whose background and prior socialization experiences led them to favor this, you know, student-centered approach over time and it shows how it can be a struggle but it's definitely worth worth the struggle so um i put in the uh notes section it has a link to the article if you want to read it um there's some good even if you don't have a ton of time to read it to go through and look at those conversations between oscar and kim those are really really interesting and and thanks to uh kevin richards for helping in preparing this podcast thanks oscar I uh, really appreciate your time, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So that's all we have for you on this one, and thanks for listening.